going to be in Mark chapter 5, uh, 21 through 43 is where we're going to do our study from. But I want to read Luke's account to start out with, so I'll get everybody confused here. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read the story there so we can, we can get the big picture. We can kind of be up to speed with what's going on in the story. It's a familiar story. Uh, we could probably take a quiz right now, and, and you all could tell me most of the details. Uh, but I still want to read, read the account of it, and then we'll go through and we'll, we'll look at it verse by verse. And as I was studying this week, what jumped out to me besides the details of, of God's power, of the evidences, of the deity of, of Christ, was the mercy, was the gentleness, was the sensitivity and the loving kindness of Jesus. And there's a, there's a lot of other little attributes in there of, of Jesus that jumped out to me. But the big picture was, wow, Jesus really, really cared about these people. He, he was among these people. He, he took time, daily time, to spend with these people, and he actually cared about them. And the hurtful stuff that they were facing in their life. We see God compassionately caring for real people and their real problems. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. We'll start in verse number 40. We'll read through verse 56. And then we'll pray and then we'll go back to Mark. So Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith had made thee whole. Go in peace." While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not. She is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out, and took her by the hand, and called, saying, Maid, arise. 
and her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the life and the health and the strength that you've given to each of us. I thank you that we can be here together and set aside some time and we can focus on you and we can worship you and and we can sing songs of praise to you. I thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the care and the compassion that you have for each and every one of us. I thank you for the stories in the past that we can look back and we can see details and we can see evidence that you truly do love and, and care for people. I thank you for your son and for the greatest gift that has ever been given, that gift of salvation. I thank you that he died and shed his perfect blood on the cross. I thank you that he rose again victorious over death and sin and hell three days later. I thank you for the life and the justification that you freely offer to us. I pray that we will look to you today, that we will praise you, that our hearts will be filled with gratefulness and gratitude to you for what you have done and that we will express that gratitude and and praise to you. Please guide our hearts and our minds today. Please work in our our lives, Holy Spirit. Please please challenge us and and change us and, and show us what you have for us. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's turn back to Mark chapter 21. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I'm getting confused up here. And we're going we're gonna to go verse by verse all the way to 43, but I want you to, as you're turning there, maybe you're already there, I want you to think about, as we've been following the steps of Christ, as we've been going through the, the Gospels and seeing the different accounts of Jesus and seeing the way that, that He acted and that He reacted and, and looking at the way the, the four Gospel writers told their stories and they put them together and they agree perfectly we see God's hand in, in the writing of His Scripture, and, and we see evidence to God preserving His Word. But we see these stories coming together, and we see these different angles, and each author kind of gives us different details and more details, and we'll look at that a little bit today. But I want us to catch up to speed with where we're at here. Remember, a few weeks ago, we, we looked at some of the parables that Jesus taught, and we talked about those details. Then Jesus got done teaching the parables, and the crowd is kind of pushing him and his disciples, as you can imagine, and they get, get in the, the ship, the flotilla of ships together, and they go across, sail across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. They get, well, I guess something happens on the sea, huh? There's a big storm, and they think they're going to die, and they go down, and Jesus is sound asleep on the waves, and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus says, where's your faith? And he rebukes the, the wind and the seas and immediately calm. And they make it to the other side. They get to the other side. They get out of the boat. And uh, remember what happens. I think we talked about this last week. Here comes a demon-possessed, crazy, naked guy running at him. And he gets there, and, and they have the interaction there. And, and Jesus ends up healing this man of casting out the demons, multiple demons, probably thousands of demons inside of this one man cast the demons out into the the pigs, remember the swine, and then 2,000 swine run and jump off the cliff and die. And such an amazing day that 
the farmers of the pigs running to town. They're telling everybody as they're going. The town comes out to see Jesus and what's going on, and they get there, and what do they see? They see this crazy naked guy clothed and in his right mind, talking with Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping with Jesus, so much so that he wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I need you to stay here. I need you to minister to these people. Because you remember how the people responded to Jesus when they saw what he did? They said, get out of here. We, we are scared of you. We're scared of your power. We couldn't control this guy with chains. And you come in here and, and you control him with your words. And the demons leave. We see your power and we don't want it here. So they kick Jesus out of the, out of the village, out of the town. They send him sailing to the other side. And Jesus tells that demon-possessed, or used to be demon-possessed man, to go and be a witness to his family and to his friends. And that's exactly what he does. He goes and he spreads the love of Jesus and the word of Jesus to those people. So now we have Jesus and his disciples sailing back across the Sea of Galilee. Probably about a six-mile journey. We have no accounts of any more storms, or apparently Jesus accomplished with the first storm what he was trying to do with the disciples. So they get to the other side, and that's where we pick up our text here. This is a pretty busy couple of days for the, the disciples. I mean, could you imagine, like, sensory overload going on here, seeing all this stuff happening? Get to verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. So when you put the details from Luke that Luke gives and the details that Mark gives, what we see here is we see people waiting for Jesus to return to their side of the Sea of Galilee. So we have a bunch of excited people anxiously waiting for Jesus to return to their side of the sea. This would have been the western side of the Sea of Galilee. It would have been close to Capernaum. There was people waiting who were hoping to see Jesus do something who were hoping Jesus could help them, who were hoping Jesus could perform a miracle and, and heal their sickness or heal their family member or whatever they needed, they were hoping Jesus could do something. There was also those people waiting to just see what Jesus would do. I mean, I would want to be around. If, if this guy is doing all those things, and I, was, I would want to see what he was going to do. So we have those people. Then we have the people we know from our previous studies who are looking for ways to find Jesus stumbling and to trip him up so that they could have accusations against him, which they would spend their whole life trying to find that, and they never found anything wrong with Jesus. They'd have to hire people to lie about, about Jesus. So we have, that's the crowd waiting for Jesus. You can imagine the excitement buzzing. You can imagine the people, oh, here comes the ships. Here comes, here comes Jesus. Here comes his disciples. I wonder what he's going to do. There are so many people around. I want you to picture this, and I'm sorry if you get sick of me saying this every single Sunday, but I want you to imagine this story actually happening because we have real-life story happening here. It's not just some fairy tale that we talk about on Sundays and we teach our kids in children's church. Real story. So picture this huge crowd waiting for Jesus. And he gets there. He gets off the ship. And they are so close to him, he's like stuck by the seashore. People yelling at him, people hollering at him, Jesus, I need this, Jesus, do this, Jesus, help me with this. So that's the crowd. Look at verse 22. And behold, 
there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. So I was trying to picture this because there's a bunch of people around Jesus. They're, they're thronging Jesus, not giving him room to breathe, as, as the passage tells us. But we have this man walking right up to Jesus and then falling down at his feet. I wonder, how did he, how did he get through the crowd like that? How did he get right to the feet of Jesus and fall? Like, what are the details of that? Was it because he was a ruler of the synagogue and the people respected him that they were giving him this, this passage of Jesus? Was he shoving people out of the way? You know, I just, I just like to picture that. How does this happen? But we have this ruler of the synagogue getting to Jesus, falling at his feet. What a ruler of the synagogue would have been was a, a caretaker or an administrator of the synagogue. And if you remember what we know about the synagogue, it's, it's a, a place where people would come together and, and read the scriptures and, and teach and pray. And you could start a synagogue, I believe, with you got, if you got ten people together. But we have this, this ruler of the synagogue. And he would have been responsible for the, the scrolls and the facility and supervised the readings and the different teachers. And he would have been religiously devout. I mean, he's a dedicated man. He's running a synagogue. He would have been highly respected in the community, which is kind of what makes me think that's what helped him get, get to Jesus and get right to his feet. But that's just my guess. We are not sure if he was a Pharisee or not. And I'm going somewhere with this, so, so stay with me. We're not sure if he was a Pharisee. There's no evidence either way. But he would have been in contact with the Pharisees of Capernaum. They would have been watching over him. You know, he's, he's leading religious people in, in a synagogue, so they would have known him. They would have known about him. They would have been keeping an eye on him. This man, Jairus, would have known how the Pharisees felt about Jesus. He would have known of their, their hate for him. They're looking for him to stumble. He would have known these, these details. So when you put that together, we have Jairus risking everything as far as his status, as far as his role in the synagogue, as far as his friendships with Pharisees, with him going to Jesus and then falling down at his feet. I mean, in that society, you would have been an outcast for turning to this, people, this man that people rejected as the Messiah. If you believed in him, I mean, your life is changing big. Your circle is, is going to reject you. So we have this man risking his relationship with the Pharisees going to Jesus in this way. But in his mind at this point, big deal. He didn't care. He had no doubt heard and seen what Jesus had done and what Jesus could do, and he needed Jesus. He was desperate for Jesus. He hears Jesus is in town, and he runs to Jesus, and he falls at the feet of Jesus, this one that, that was the Messiah, this one who was God in the flesh, but this one who was rejected by the religious authorities, this one who was an outcast to the religious authorities, this man, this leader of the synagogue, falls at the feet of Jesus. Matthew's account tells us that when he fell down, he worshipped Jesus. Can you, can you picture, picture this scene? This devout religious man 
falling at the feet of Jesus, the one who was rejected by the majority of religious leaders. He's falling at the feet of Jesus, and he's worshiping him, and he's crying out to him. He needs help from him. This man had a desperate need, and he believed that Jesus had the power to meet this need. Look at verse 23. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Do you see his faith? He falls at the feet of Jesus. It's, I love the wording, besought him greatly. I mean, that paints a picture. He's begging, Jesus, please, I need you. I need your help. My little girl, my only child is dying. My worst nightmare is coming true. And I try to put myself in his shoes with having, having children and considering how, how precious each of my children are to me. And the love that I have for them and, and the thought of, of losing one of them or one of them getting sick is just is crushing to me. So put those emotions on as, as you read this story and consider this man who is facing this, this possibility of his child, his only daughter, dying. It gets real in a hurry. He's, he's hurting. He needs help. He falls at the feet of Jesus and he begs Jesus to help him. And he says, come to my house. Lay your hands on my daughter. Give her life. Please, Jesus. You're her only hope. I don't want to lose my little daughter. Can you feel that emotion just a little bit? And consider what this guy was facing? He needs Jesus. And again, a real-life story that actually happened. Look how Jesus responds. And Jesus, this is verse 24, And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. How does Jesus respond to this request? Let's go. Let's get to your house. Let's go, let's go see this daughter. Let's see what's going on. Jesus took the time to go with this man to his house. Jesus is all-powerful. He could have spoke from right there and healed his daughter. He could have said, go home, she's all better. We see him doing that at times, healing from afar, completely healing from afar. But he says, okay, I'm going to take the time, and I'm going to go with you. I have a little more to accomplish along the way than just healing your daughter. I want to reveal how great my power really is, and I want to help this other lady along the way. So we have Jesus, we have Jairus, and then we have this crowd thronging them. They're still all in their personal bubble, bumping them, running into them, touching them, trying to get Jesus to help them on the way as they go to the house of Jairus. I imagine, this is me thinking as a dad, thinking as Jairus, I imagine him being slightly frustrated with all the people standing in the way like, come on, people, my daughter is dying. Like, get out of the way. We need to get to my house. Move. I picture myself, like, shoving people maybe and, you know, trying to help Jesus hurry to my house. So we have Jesus and Jairus on their way. Verse 25 and 26. And a certain woman, 
which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. So we have the, the story within the story, right? We have what Jesus is going to accomplish on the way to the house of Jairus. We had a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She was also trying to get to Jesus. Jairus was trying to get to Jesus. Jairus found Jesus. Jairus told Jesus what he needed. They go on their journey. We have this woman who had heard about Jesus, and she is desperately trying to get to Jesus. I want you to think about her personal societal status, though. Because this woman, if she had a bleeding problem, which she, which she did, that's a big deal in itself for 12 years. But in a societal sense, she would have been ceremonially unclean. So she would have been an outcast. Even from her family, she would have been lonely and miserable for 12 years. That's a rough place to be. So she's going to Jesus for help. She had tried everything she could with the doctor. She spent every drop of money that she had to try to get better. The doctors just made her worse. We have a miserable, lonely lady. She had tried everything to get better and only gotten worse. She heard Jesus was in town and she had hope. She believed he could help. He could help. She believed he could heal her and make her whole and change her life. If she was healed, think how that would change her life. She could be around people again, which for some people, that's a, that's a good thing to be able to be around. So her whole life could be changed by Jesus. Look at verses 27 and 28. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. You see that faith? Like, I don't even need Jesus to talk to me. I don't even need Jesus to know I'm there. If I can just get close enough to touch the hem of his garments, to touch the bottom of his, his robe, he can heal me. I believe in him. I believe he's that powerful. And just a, a side note for free. On the bottom of, of, their, of their robes or their garments, there would be these, these tassels, little tassels. The religious leaders throughout time would get as big of tassels as they could for the bottom to try to show how spiritual they, and how holy. And, and so it became like a contest of the biggest tassels on the bottom of your, of your robe, which I imagine Jesus not being that way at all. I mean, he probably had the smallest tassel you could get on, on a robe. But that's, that's the picture from what I understand historically of this woman trying to get to Jesus and, and just touch the, the hem of his garment or the tassels on the bottom of his robe. So we see her great faith. We see her trying to get close to Jesus. She just wants to get close enough to touch his garment. And he, she believes he can heal her. Look at verse 29. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. See that? She touched his garment, and she was healed immediately. Her faith healed her. The power of Jesus healed her without even speaking. 
or talking to her. And immediately, she had been searching for 12 years, but she was healed immediately. And we see the power of Jesus, and we see the care of Jesus. Because Jesus did not have to heal her. He is God. He did not have to do that. But He did. And He changed her life. Look at verse 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in Himself that virtue had gone out of Him, turned Him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Could you imagine that? That lady, uh uh-oh. Like everybody's touching Him. I didn't think I would get noticed. Jesus stops. And He turns around. Who touched my clothes? And I picture her like hiding, you know, hiding behind somebody. And Jesus calling him out, who, who touched me? Jesus knew that power had left him. He was the all-knowing God. And he stopped walking. And he faces the crowd. And he says, who touched my clothes? I wonder what Jairus is, or Jairus is thinking now. Like, Come on, Jesus, let's... Let's get to my daughter. Because they're already fighting the crowd, right? And Jesus stops walking and turns around, and now he's going to have a conversation with who, who touched me. And lots of people were touching him. We'll see the disciples say. So we have Jesus, we have Jairus stopping. Jesus knew who it was the whole time. He's all-knowing God. Jesus had allowed it to happen. He had allowed her to be healed. But he had more to accomplish in the life of that woman than to just keep walking and to let her go her way being healed. I believe he wanted to heal her spiritually. And I believe that's exactly what he did. And you can put Greek words together from all the different Gospels, but I'm just going to tell you I believe that he's going to heal her spiritually as well as physically. Look at verse 31. And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? You see, you see a little bit of maybe sarcasm in there with these poor disciples? Like, Jesus, everybody's touching you. People are bumping into you. People are, are trying to get healed. Why are you saying who's touching me? Lots of people are touching me. Jesus seems to ignore them, which I love that response. He just keeps looking. He knows where this lady's hiding behind this tall guy. He knows right where she is, right? But we have Jesus looking, waiting for this person to come forward. And precious time is, is ticking for the daughter of Jairus. She's still dying. She's probably already dead at this point, actually. But verse 32, And he looked round about to see her, That had done this thing. So we still have Jesus looking for the woman that touched him. Verse 33. But before we get to 33, do you picture the awkward silence in the crowd? Like somebody's in trouble, but nobody wants to come forward. Like, it takes me back to school. You know, somebody hit the teacher with a spit wad and, you know, she's stopped. But but we have this huge crowd around Jesus. We have Jesus stopping calling out to the crowd, who touched me? And I picture silence, and him looking, and waiting, and just pausing, letting them be as uncomfortable as they can be for as long as it takes, 
And then finally, the woman is going to step forward. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Like, the evidence was there. She was caught red-handed. She was healed. She was sick for 12 years. Now she was healed. Now Jesus is calling her out. Who touched me? And can you picture her kind of shyly walking to Jesus and then falling down in that position of, of humility and brokenness before Jesus and her telling him her story? He knew the whole story. But she told it, and all the people would have heard that. We know that from, from Luke where she told that and the, the whole crowd heard what was going on. So we have Jesus giving testimony of his power to all these people through this lady telling her story. See how neat that was? We see Jesus' power and who he was on display for all to see from the testimony of this humbled woman. So we have this woman before Jesus. And it's a happy day for this lady. But while this delay was going on, Verse 34. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith had made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. So she was healed of her disease the moment she touched Jesus, right? So she was already healed when Jesus is having this conversation with her. And then he says, Your faith has made you whole. And I believe that's talking about her spiritual healing. The fact of, of Jesus giving her the good news and of her sins being forgiven and, and her sins being covered and her being at a right standing with God as a result of her faith. So I believe that's where, that's where she is saved, where that saving faith comes to place there. and It's on public display for all to see. So all this is going on. We get to verse 35. While he yet spake... There came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? So Jesus, Jairus, having this conversation with this lady. Somebody runs up, one of Jairus' people from his house, and says, It's too late. Your daughter's dead. She's gone. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. As this is happening, can you picture the crushing blow? To Jairus, like, I was so close. I had Jesus with me. We were headed to my house to save my little girl, my only girl. And we got caught up, and now she's dead, and I lost her. Can you picture, like, this coming over Jairus, this realization? But we get to see the compassion of Jesus the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, immediately coming from His lips. Verse 36, As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, He said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. So we see Jesus caring for Jairus in the sense that I don't want to let Jairus struggle with this, this pain of his daughter being dead for too long. I want to let him know right away that it's going to be okay. 
So he says, as soon as the words are spoken, Jesus speaks and says, it's okay. Don't have fear. Believe. Your daughter will be okay. Luke's account tells us he says it this time too. So he says, your daughter's going to be fine. That same faith that you came to me with, that faith that you had believing that I could help her while she was still alive, keep that faith and hold on tight to that faith because we're going to go to your daughter right now and it's going to be okay. Verse 37. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So this, this multitude that's, that's pressing him, that's been delaying them, Jesus says, okay, you guys go away. And he sends everybody away, except for Peter, James, and John, and Jairus. And they go back to the house of Jairus. So... That's power right there to have the multitude somehow leave him. I mean, they've been waiting at the seashore for him to get there, right? So now he says, go away. We have something to take care of. Verse 38. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. Tumult means an uproar or a disturbance. So what we have here, the picture that we have from these, the verbiage is the funeral had started for the daughter of Jairus. Like that's pretty quick turnaround there. Like the funeral's already going. And what I want you to know about this, this funeral, it's not the quiet, solemn event that we have today. You know, everybody's quiet and, and is respecting the family and all that. The family hires professional mourners to come to the funeral. And apparently they make really good, sad sounds because they're professional. And the, the family pays them. And the family also pays musicians, hires musicians playing the flute and other instruments that they could make sound in a, a sad way. It's a big, sad ceremony. And they want everybody to know how sad it is. Thus the mourners, thus the wailers, thus the instruments, thus this big tumult that's going on. This big upsetting situation. We have people loudly weeping. We have people ripping their clothes because they're so sad. Or the professionals were just ripping their clothes because that's what they got paid to do. But we have this big sad day. Look at verse 39. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado? And weep. The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Can you picture Jesus? What are you all doing? She's not dead. She's not permanently dead. She's sleeping. Verse 40. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. So the people laughed at him. The people laughed at Jesus, mocking his claim. She is too dead, Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. Can you picture the people mocking Jesus here? And them telling Jesus, she's too dead, that's why we're here. That's why we have all these hired mourners here. Because she's dead. She's not sleeping. Jesus says, everybody out. Get out of here. I'm going to show you. He lets 
the mom, the dad come into the room where the little girl was laying. Verse 41. Picture the, just the kindness and the tenderness of Jesus right here. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Can you picture Jesus taking the hand of this precious little 12-year-old girl? She's laying there dead. And he takes her hand and he tells, unto her, tells her, young girl, arise. Come back to life. Precious little child. Wake up. Verse 42. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. Jesus says, get up. What does she do? Stands up and starts walking around. But I love how the parents responded because they were astonished. I get that. Your daughter was dead and now she's alive. They're astonished with a great astonishment. Jairus had great faith, but he was still amazed at the power and the miracle of Jesus. He was amazed. He had this great faith that Jesus could do it. And then when Jesus actually did it, he's amazed greatly. That word translated great in there comes from the Greek word megas. Mega, right? Big time amazed at what Jesus had done. And his precious little girl had life. Verse 43, And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. So Jesus tells them, don't publish this story. Don't, don't tell people what happened. Remember, Jesus had told them she was just sleeping. And he goes in and she comes back to life. So I guess they would have had a, a story to tell people that she was just sleeping. And I don't know how the details are supposed to play out. But we have Jesus here telling them not to tell anybody what had happened. But we find Jesus doing this multiple times because the people wanted to make him a, a king right then to free them from the Romans. And that was not the way he was, he was to reign at that time. And he didn't want people following him just for what he could do. He wanted people believing in who he was. Amen. So he tells them, keep this, keep this quiet, which how are they going to do that, right? Their daughter just came back to life. They're going to want to be shouting from the roof of their house that my daughter's alive having a big party, turn the funeral into a welcome home party or something. So Jesus says, don't tell anyone. And then, look at, again, just the sensitivity of Jesus and commanded that something should be given her to eat. This little girl's hungry. She's been sick for who knows how long. She's dead. She was dead. She came back to life. This little girl is hungry. Quit being amazed and make her a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I just love the, the little pictures of care and of kindness that we get to see of Jesus in Scripture. The little details of He cares. He's compassionate. 
He is kind and he's sensitive to the needs. We have an all-powerful, just, holy, righteous, perfect God. But we also have a God that is merciful, that is gentle, that is sensitive, that is loving, that is kind, that is caring, and that is compassionate. What a wonderful reminder of the wonderful God that we have. And you know what? He is still wonderful. He is still great. He is still powerful. He is still sensitive. You are still important to Him as an individual. And He loves you, and He knows you by name, and He cares about you in a personal way. And no problem that you're facing is too big for Him. And we can keep that strong faith that we have in Him. That faith that Jairus started with, Jesus told him to keep it. The faith we have in God in the good times, we can keep in the bad times. Because he does care, and he is faithful, and he is there. I am so thankful that God cares on a personal level. And with all this in mind, we can keep our faith and our confidence in him. But let's step back also and praise Him for the fact that He's not distant and He hasn't just thrown us on the earth to figure it out on our own because we can see how that would work out. But He's there and He loves us and He cares for us and He leads us and guides us. Let's praise Him for all those things. Let's not take that for granted. We have a real God that really cares and really loves us. And let's praise Him all day, every day. He is so worthy of all praise. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank You for this reminder of of Your love and Your compassion. I pray that we will be careful to focus on you and to praise you you're so wonderful you're beyond comprehension of why you would even care for us why you would even love us when we struggle so often and and, uh, we can make so many mistakes but you are there and you love us and you care for us I pray that we will lift you up and that we will praise you In Jesus' name I pray, amen.